0: Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast.
1: Back in better than ever from the South Street Seaport Studios in lower Manhattan amidst pouring rain. Greeny with you on a Friday presented by Progressive Insurance. Going to give a workout to the Shell Penzoil performance line coming up here shortly. Going to do one question. Going to go to the places of a lot of interesting NFL games and stories. Take you there in just a few minutes. Ryan Clark a little later today. Paul Feinbaum. A little later today, but we will start with news that just came across in the last little while, and it's good news. And that is that all of the retesting in Indianapolis came back negative. They had a total of four positive tests for the Colts, which caused them to shut down their building yesterday. One player, apparently it was one player and three uh, other people in the organization They did the abundance of caution thing. They sent everybody home. We saw this happen with the Jets last week. We saw it happen with the Falcons and some other teams. They went back. They retested them. All of them came back negative. They now believe these were all false positives. So the game is on between the Colts and the Bengals this weekend. And as I said to Diana Rossini this morning on television, and I'll say to you right now, and I've said it repeatedly, this is just going to be part of the business of this. We're just going to have to deal with this every week. They're testing so frequently we're going to have. We seem to have a lot of false positives. If that's the way it's going to be, that's the way it's going to be. We'll live with it. They missed a day of practice. It is what it is. This is just the reality of football in the year 2020. The news is good. The game is on. So at this point, all the games this weekend appear to be going forward, which allows us to talk about the big story of yesterday, which is Le'Veon Bell choosing the Kansas City Chiefs. And what I would say about that is... It is the least interesting of the options to me in that it didn't change anything. It's probably the smartest thing he could do. But to me, if he signed in Buffalo, I would have made Buffalo a significant contender. If he signed in Chicago, I would have thought Chicago a significant contender. He signed in Kansas City. I thought Kansas City was going to win the Super Bowl when I woke up yesterday, and I still think it today. I do believe Le'Veon Bell will be a factor there. I think he will help. I think he will make a difference. I think it's brilliant for him. And I think they go from an offense that when they're good is the best in the NFL to when they're good is unstoppable. Now, we haven't seen them look unstoppable much this year. They really only looked that way in one game against Baltimore. But I have nothing but confidence in Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, Eric Bieniemy, and everyone else involved. Bell just makes it bordering on unfair. I had good conversations about this this morning, both on and off the air with the crew from Get Up. And Le'Veon Bell is all of a sudden in a situation where, as a pass-catching running back, he requires a lot of attention. At his best, he was as good a receiver practically as there was in the league at any position. <clears throat> if you're playing Kansas City now, you've got to do what Tyreek Hill needs extra attention You got to deal with Jason Kelsey. He needs, excuse me, Travis Kelsey. He needs extra attention. And now you're dealing with Le'Veon Bell. So unless they let you put 13 players on the field on defense, you're going to have a tough time slowing them down. Again, my only caveat here is I thought the Chiefs were going to win anyway. Now they don't have to be quite as perfect to be unstoppable. Here was Ryan Clark with me this morning.
2: They now have a piece to not be so bored with. And we've watched this team go through lows. You look at the second half against the Las Vegas Raiders, the first three quarters against the Los
1: Angeles Chargers. They were looking for a spark, looking for a piece that they can move around. And Bart is exactly right. Are you going to take your safety off of Travis Kelsey? Are you going to move a safety from over the top of Tyreek Hill? Or are you going to take your shot with one of your third or fourth best defenders on Le'Veon Bell? That's the decision that you will now have. Have to make as a defensive coordinator playing against the Kansas City Chiefs. So, the big question that I guess will have to be answered, and he will get the opportunity to answer, is this last year or so did he look the way he looked because he has lost a step, or did he look the way he looked because the team he is on just stunk in every conceivable way, both from a personnel standpoint and a scheme standpoint? with the Jets. He will start answering that question in Kansas City, not this Monday night, because he will need to go through five days of coronavirus protocol, so he won't be eligible to play until the following week. I am Greeny, and we are presented by Progressive Insurance, Progressive's Home Quote Explorer is changing the way you buy home insurance. Now you can go online, get a custom quote, and save both time and money. Learn more at Progressive.com. All right, let's do one question. Baba, give me a little music, and my first stop is going to be Kansas City. I have
2: only one question.
1: Uh, my one question is for our ESPN chief reporter Adam Teicher, who's on the Shell Penzel Performance line. Adam, thank you for this. Adam, what do we expect the role to be for Le'Veon Bell in this dynamic and already stacked offense with the Chiefs?
0: Yeah, there's there's a lot to uh, be sorted through in that regard. As you say, you know what what are the Chiefs really getting here? Are they getting the player from the, the Steelers from a few years ago? Are they getting the player from the Jets last year? So that uh, you know, the Chiefs need to figure that out. Um, uh, you know, they, they've got a rookie running back and Clyde Edwards Lair that they really like. So my sense is this will be, uh, some type of shared backfield situation where they'll each get their time. But, um, you know, you, the reason the Chiefs signed him, go back to what you said. I mean, you said yesterday, you felt like, um, the chiefs were going to win the Super Bowl. Maybe you feel even more strongly that way today. That's what the chiefs are thinking, uh, uh, they wanted to uh, strengthen a, a position that was not one of great depth. Uh, none of their backups have ever been a feature back more than a game or two at a time. So they really didn't have somebody to step in if Edwards Hilaire uh, got hurt or, or something happened with him. And, um, you know, the Chiefs are trying to do whatever they can with this window of opportunity to win Super Bowls. Um, they're. If the Chiefs, if we're looking back in 20 years, in this era of Chiefs football, the Pat Mahomes era, and and we say, wow, that was a great team they had in 2019, but that was the only Super Bowl they won, there's going to be a lot of people here right now, and I mean in the organization, who feel a, a profound sense of disappointment. They they feel like this, this team and this uh, program has a lot, um, can accomplish a lot more than that. So... Uh, You know, they they just saw a great player they thought would make or or once was a great player who could make them better, maybe similar to when they signed Terrell Suggs toward the end of last season.
1: And um, uh, so that's what they did. You know what? I'm going to bookmark that thought because I really like it. Adam, thank you very much for jumping in with me here. And I really like if that is the way they're thinking, then I am doubly excited by it. And I am triply impressed by Andy and everybody else there, which is not a surprise. But meanwhile, we continue one question. I only have one question. My next one goes to Cleveland. Jake Trotter covers the Browns for us at ESPN, and I think that is, in the big picture, the most important game of this weekend because it's a divisional matchup and everything that goes with that, and because it feels like such a measuring stick for these Browns going to Pittsburgh where they haven't won since 2003, and they will certainly convince a lot of people that they are for real this year if they find a way to knock off the Steelers. Jake, what can you tell us about the mindset of the Browns as they go in there? We all remember what happened with Miles Garrett uh, the last time these teams met and the helmet incident and all the rest of that. What can you tell us about the mindset of the Browns as they head into this measuring stick game in Pittsburgh?
3: Yeah, Mike, I think they're trying to downplay the significance of this particular game as much as they can, but there's no doubt they understand the opportunity they have here, you mentioned the losing streak in Pittsburgh, um, which has really hampered this franchise, the way the Steelers have dominated them in the division. Uh, they have a chance to not only you know vanquish that streak, beat their rival finally on the road, but also move to 5-1. And, and I think you can make the case that if they beat Pittsburgh, that will be the biggest win that Cleveland has had since returning to the NFL in 1999. Because not only is it a rivalry win, not only are you breaking a losing streak on the road, but at 5-1, you will be in spectacular position to finally snap the league's longest playoff drought, which is now up to 18 years.
1: I, I agree with you completely. And, Jake, because the, the show has my name in it, I can break the rules. So I'm asking you a second question, if that's good for you. and I'll put it in the form of fantasy, but it's not necessarily meant that way. But who do you expect to have the bigger day as we look at the offensive game plan you're anticipating from the Browns? Will this be a day about Kareem Hunt or will this be a day about Odell Beckham?
3: Yeah, I mean, that's one of the kind of the side storylines of this game is Odell Beckham, you know, his illness. Now, he's tested negative for COVID uh, this week, but he was not at practice today. We're going to have a chance to ask Kevin Stefanski uh, in a little bit here. You know, what is your plan? You know, is, is Odell going to go on his own? Uh, to Pittsburgh because it's a drivable trip, obviously. So just based on that alone, I think Kareem Hunt is the safer answer. You know, Kareem has had touchdowns uh, in every game going back to Week 2. He's a weapon as a receiver as well. I think he's going to have a big workload in this game because as good as the Pittsburgh front is and that run defense is, I think the Browns want to send a message that, hey, we can run the ball on anybody in the NFL. We're going to take it right to you in your own stadium.
1: I like that, and I like that matchup. That is strength on strength. It's the irresistible force and the immovable object. What winds up winning? The Browns forcing the run, or are the Steelers able to force them to become a passing team and make Baker Mayfield beat them, I think that's the most important storyline in that game. Jake Trotter, thank you very much. i got to ask him one question. One more one question here. Rob Domofsky is going to jump in here on the shell Pinzel performance line. Covers the Packers for us. And, you know, Rob, as we look ahead to this Battle of the Bays and the third-ever meeting of the legendary quarterbacks Aaron Rodgers against Tom Brady in what is the sexiest matchup of the NFL weekend, I think back to this summer – When you were on with me so regularly on Get Up and we were talking a lot about how Rodgers' psyche would be after they drafted the quarterback and watched the relationship with the coach, and and I don't know if you saw it coming, but I certainly didn't think that four weeks in, Rodgers would be playing better than he ever had before. What is your sense of where everyone's head is right now as the Packers have gotten off to the best start of any team in the NFL? Well,
4: Greeny, as I think I told you at the time, or maybe it was even before that, right after the draft, one guy who knows Rodgers well told me, quote, this will light a fire under his you-know-what. And whether Rodgers wants to admit it or not, and he has not admitted it, he has said that basically more or less that that Jordan Love pick had nothing to do with this, the fact is clear that he is so comfortable and so in tune with Matt LaFleur and this offense, and forget about whatever Rodgers' skills are with his arm, with his mobility, which some people think he doesn't have as much of it. His greatest weapon... Has always been his mind, and he set his mind to it, Greeny. I truly believe that he's going to make this work with Matt Lafleur. He bought in, even though last year it wasn't pretty at times. He has bought into the changes that they've made on offense. I mean, here's a guy who admitted, "I didn't like a lot of pre-snap motion." Well, what is their offense now, Greeny? It's all pre-snap motion. It's all the Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay pre-snap motion, and Rodgers has embraced it. And that's why he's been so successful, regardless
1: of what the circumstances are around him. All right. so well done. Rob Domofsky, thank you very much. I have only one question. That's one question with us here on ESPN Radio. And I really like that as we run around the NFL to some of the big games. They are checking in on Buffalo, Kansas City with Le'Veon Bell now a chief. And on Cleveland, Pittsburgh when a measuring stick game for the Browns. And then, of course, the Packers and Buccaneers in the third ever meeting between the two legendary Quarterbacks, the boat and the goat. Tom Brady, the greatest of all time. Aaron Rodgers, the best of all time. And I invite you to be a part of Greeny Nation on the Dr. Pepper call-in line. ESPN Nation is presented by Dr. Pepper. It is official. College football is back, and so is your favorite Dr. Pepper-loving college football town, Fansville. Head to a store near you to treat your inner college football fan to an ice-cold 20-ounce Dr. Pepper today. All right, let's circle back to a couple of the things there. We got those in early, and I'm glad that we did because I think that the Le'Veon Bell thing is the big story, that along with, with the Colts game now being back on again, the big story. But I have two other things I really wanted to get to here right off the top of the show. And the first of them is going to be, and I don't, I don't want to call people out because I do enjoy the byplay. OK, I told you I'm following everything that you're writing to me on Twitter. Use the hashtag Greeny on Twitter and I'm paying attention. And I am open to all of the back and forth, and I understand that there is going to be some criticism, there's going to be some nastiness, there's going to be some what have you. But there is one that I did receive today that I have to confess, did get me to say, and feel like I had to absolutely say, I'm sorry, what? I'm missing my, I'm sorry, I can't find it here. Where, where is it, uh, Bubba? Oh, here it is. I made me look at this thing and say, I'm sorry, what?
4: I'm sorry, what? I'm sorry, what, what? I'm sorry,
1: what? I'm sorry, what?
4: I'm sorry, what?
1: So listen, I'm all for you being a fan of your team, okay? I, I am, I get it, I am a fan of mine. And if you attack my team, well, right now, no one attacks my team more regularly than I do. My team is eminently attackable. But I get it, some, you know, national talk show host is up there and says, make some comment about your team and you feel slighted and you want to take a shot on Twitter. Okay, I can live with that. But this morning, I said on GetUp, that to call the Steelers-Browns, now look, I'm old enough to remember when Steelers-Browns is one of the great rivalries in the sport, Pittsburgh and Cleveland, because they're to drivable rivalry, have always, the cities have an intense rivalry, but I said on television this morning that to call the Steelers and Browns a rivalry is really not an accurate statement because a hammer and a nail don't have a rivalry. Again, the Browns have not won in Pittsburgh since 2003. Tim Couch was the last Browns quarterback to win in Pittsburgh. So if I say this has become more of a relationship than a rivalry, I would think most fans would get it and understand I'm not trying to be funny. I'm just calling it like I see it. But I did get one tweet here that said, I hope some Browns players saw Weasley Greeny call the Browns-Steelers rivalry a hammer and a nail. To which I would respond... What are you calling it? What would you call this rivalry? You haven't won there since 2003. You know all the things that have happened since 2003? We were in the first term of the George W. Bush presidency, the last time the Browns won in Pittsburgh. So the idea that somehow the Browns players or anyone should be mad at me for saying that, it just doesn't make any sense. What is that? Someone just said something in my ear and I couldn't understand it. But I guess the point that I'm making here is that I totally get you being mad at me for saying stuff all the time. And I can take it. I've Lord knows we've been back and forth a million times. And am I weaselly? I suppose weaselly is in the eye of the beholder. But at some point, you have to recognize that in this case, I was not I was not trying to be funny. I was just pointing out the reality. Now, everything changes. Everything changes. And I think that that Jake Trotter was exactly right. If the Browns win this Sunday, that becomes the biggest win they've had since they came back to the national football league for everything that it signifies. It signifies a statement in the division. It signifies a statement against their, their big brother, the team that has become their big brother, no matter how weaselly that may make me sound, you go in there and you knock them off and it changes things a lot. Ryan Clark, of course, the longtime former Steeler was on my show talking about this this morning. Is that the one that's up here in the corner? It's, it's not on my screen. So let's, let, let's, let's just stop. That's not working. So, so let me just do this and then we'll come back and you can, you can talk to me after the segment. Let me move on to something else here. So let, let's then talk about the next game. So Brown Steelers, again, I believe the Steelers will win because I'm not going to believe it, what my eyes are seeing until I actually see it. But at the end of the day, This is an enormous measuring stick game for the Browns. I think their chances, if Miles Garrett is just unstoppable, they need to force Ben to turn the ball over. I do not think the Browns can win this game if they have to play from behind. I think the Browns need to be able to run the ball, and the Steelers know it. Baker Mayfield is not going to win this game if he is 10 points behind in the fourth quarter. So this is a game that I think the Browns need to be in control of throughout the day to have a chance to win. And the way they do that, obviously, is by running the football effectively and maybe finding a spot or two for a turnover. You know, Rob Ninkovich said on the show this morning on Get Up, he said the thing with Ben is he fumbles the football if you hit him. And so if they can, if Miles Garrett and those guys can get in on Ben, maybe force a turnover here or there and play this game from in front, then I think the Browns have a good chance. Greenie with you, presented by Progressive Insurance, our guests on the Shell Penzoil Performance Line. The other one I wanted to comment on, of course, is this game between Tampa and Green Bay. And Nikovich made a very interesting observation that is, if you watch Brady on the sideline now, when he's yelling at everybody, one of the things that may be happening here is that Brady is not accustomed to being on a team that beats itself with stupid mistakes. Now, I do wonder if every once in a while he looks around and he says, you know, Bill Belichick was a pain in the neck but we never committed 11 penalties for 100-and-something yards. They killed themselves in that game on that Thursday night. And that could be part of the frustration here. So you do wonder, if we wondered when would Bill miss Tom and when would Tom miss Bill, you do wonder if as he's watching this Buccaneer team, his teammates doing one dumb thing after another, whether it's headbutting someone in the middle of an offensive drive or a million penalties – you do wonder, and again, Brady himself made the huge mistake at the end of the game. No one's, no one's suggesting he's been perfect here. He didn't know what down it was. So he is far from blameless. But I do believe they're going to have to clean it up. Now, I did pick them to win that game by one point. I picked them to win a shootout. Part of that is because that's what I'm hoping to see. I'm hoping to see a shootout between these two legendary quarterbacks, who, again, have only met twice in their entire NFL careers. So there'd be nothing better for our weekend than for that game to be 36-35. But if you told me right now one team was going to blow the other out, I would take Green Bay. If it's a great game, back and forth, both quarterbacks play well, then I'll stick with my pick. I'll take the Bucks by one. But I'd be lying to you if I said I didn't think it was possible that Green Bay winds up blowing them out. We'll see what happens. Greeny with you. Such a busy day. We have a lot more to do here. Coming up, the biggest question surrounding the biggest game of this entire weekend.
4: Must be 21-plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details.
1: Half past the hour. Greeny with you on ESPN Radio. We're on TV every day, too, on ESPN News. It's a huge sports weekend. Huge. Got the big fight tomorrow night, which we will have Joe Tess in here to preview a little bit later. We obviously have a huge NFL weekend ahead of us. Baseball playoffs that I'll get to. The Clayton Kershaw situation is, is tough to watch, frankly. Uh, and then there is the Monster College game tomorrow night, Georgia, Alabama. And I would like to share with my friend, Mr. Feinbaum, Paul Feinbaum joins me here on the Shell Penzoil performance line. Paul, I want to share with you a, a tweet that I just saw from your friend and mine, Desmond Howard. And you and I both know Des likes to drop little bombs, right? He, he likes to just sort of set off a little a little fire and then kind of run away and, and let whatever happens happens. But here's what he tweeted. He tweeted, I believe Nick Saban will be on the field coaching tomorrow. Enjoy your Friday. That's it. That's from Desmond Howard. Paul Feinbaum, what do you think?
2: I don't think he's joking. Uh, when I heard about that, I checked with some people. And, Greeny, we talked about this yesterday, uh, but it, there there were some people saying maybe it was a false positive. Saban's asymptomatic. So right now, if, if what De- Desmond says turned out to be true, that means that Saban... Uh, would have had to have a negative test yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and then he could move, according to the new protocols, out of isolation and into the stadium. And I thought it was interesting Saban on his radio show last night was very uh, clearly complaining about the NCAA protocol. So, I mean, I I don't know. It's not like I can get in there and uh, steal the the PCR test, but Mm – but clearly, uh, something's going on to make uh, Desmond think that and to make other people at least be curious. But but there there is movement, I will tell you that.
1: So you know as well as I do, Paul, the way people just react to stuff. So if indeed Nick Saban winds up standing on that sideline on Saturday night, there will be people, albeit I'm, I'm granting, people who don't have any information whatsoever regarding this, who will just look at it and say, ah, they made a special accommodation because of his stature because it's him. Do you think there's any way that would happen? Would anyone change anything because it's Nick Saban? No.
2: Uh, I, I can tell you, Greeny, that feeling, you know, watching this conference, uh, covering it, knowing the people that are involved, uh, that is not going to, to be a factor. And and it shouldn't be. And, and I, I, I firmly believe that Greg Sankey, the commissioner of the SEC, would not allow that to happen, especially – yeah, And under any circumstances, but especially one as serious as COVID. And, you know, I, I, think, I think the SEC has taken it seriously now. I, I, I get the criticism, and it is withering right now. And it wasn't helped this week by Dan Mullen. Uh, for those who didn't hear the story, uh, he, he complained after losing at Kyle Field last week at College Station that the governor of Florida has allowed uh, full stadiums, and he wants a full stadium and he, uh, his administration shot him down, and then before before he could even uh, try to get out of what he said, and he, he didn't try very hard, uh, the, the the game this week against LSU was shut down because of 21 positives and several staff members, but but in, in Saban's case, I just cannot believe it. And I know some people out there are going, yeah, right, yeah, but that, that is the truth, Greeny.
1: I believe you. I, I not only do I believe you, I agree with you. I, I know the people that we're talking about here, so I just wanted to get that out there because you know there'll be people who'll say it who are just from a distance. They'll just fire that, and I thought it was worth both of us being on the record saying that. That said, I want to ask you a question that I asked David Pollack yesterday because I've been trying to figure this out, and you guys live in this stuff minute to minute, day to day more than I do. Based on the unique circumstances of this year where the Big Ten will start playing next week, and the Pac-12 will start playing at some point, and everyone is playing just their own conference schedules and everything else, does that make it more or less likely that the SEC could get two teams into the playoff when it's all said and done? I think
2: it's more likely. uh, And As we talk about the five Power Five conferences, one of them is almost eliminated, and that's the Big 12. They, They only have one shot left, and that's Oklahoma State, and I wouldn't trust Oklahoma state to to run the table uh any more than I trust the the, the Jets to suddenly you know get on a winning streak <laughs> so that's not happening uh so so you start doing the numbers and the the Pac-12 looks unlikely just because they're playing such a small number of games and if anybody loses I think they'll immediately be eliminated I mean even if Ohio state let's say runs the table then you really have only two other possibilities you have Maybe someone in the ACC other than Clemson. Is it North Carolina? Unlikely. Notre Dame, maybe, because uh, they play Clemson and perhaps could beat them at home. I don't think so, but maybe. And then you have uh, a possible Alabama-Georgia rematch in the SEC title game and both of them getting in. It's happened before. Uh, Two SEC teams have played when there was only one game in the BCS championship, and we all know two years ago, Alabama and Georgia ended up playing for the national championship uh, with a four-team playoff. So it's very possible because the SEC, while maybe not this is, as good as some years, is, is still extremely top-heavy with Alabama, Georgia, Florida, teams like that.
1: Absolutely. Paul Feinbaum with me on ESPN Radio. And to be clear, I have zero issue with it. I think the four best teams should get in there. And if two of them are from that conference, that's fine. I, I'm just trying to figure out what exactly is at stake Saturday night. You know me. I'm, I'm, I'll sell anything I can the best I can. I guess the question is, with sabins not on the field is alabama really playing this saturday night for their lives or not and it sounds to me like you're telling me they're not
2: they're not um and <laughs> i have no vested interest in it other than as a fan and, and, and somebody who, who talks about it but i don't think this game is, is the end of the world uh in, in 2011 greenie we we had a literal game of the game of the century it was one versus two. It was in November. Uh, those of us in college football talked about it for six or eight weeks. Everybody in the world was there, from Bob Kraft to LeBron, LeBron James. LeBron could not even get his own box. Uh, he decided at the last minute he wanted to go, and they, they had to put him in like a, a box where you know you have about 150 people. So uh, I mean, I was kind of embarrassed for LeBron. I would have given him mine, but I didn't have one. Uh, and. It, this game is different. this is a a, a fun game we 're all going to watch but if if Alabama wins by three points or Georgia wins by three points they 'll very likely meet again and uh, it will not it will not injure either 's chances and and If Sabin does not coach uh, that could that could also be a mitigating uh, circumstance
1: right they would might look at that the way you would look at well the team didn 't have their quarterback they didn 't have their best player, maybe it excuses a loss if they look bad. One final thing for you, Paul, and you and I spent so much of this coronavirus-filled summer uh, talking in the mornings about what we expected the college football season to look like. Would they play? Would they not play? Then one conference was out, then another one was out. Now they're back in. All things considered, as we can sort of sit back and and take a quick breath here, do you feel that it has gone better than you would have expected And, and maybe more importantly than the people in charge would have expected or not as well or around the same? I think it's gone about it,
2: about as I expected. Uh, you know, in the SEC, this is week four, and until this week, there had not been any problems. This week has been a disaster. So I, I think the the, the the conference I'm really watching, Greeny, is next week when the Big Ten gets in. We all know the backstory. They they, they 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 decided on August 11th not to play, then they came back. They have the toughest protocols of anyone. If a player tests positive, uh, they're out for they They're out for three weeks. Uh, and, and you're going to see some serious damage to the, the Big Ten schedule if if there are widespread issues. So that's the one I'm watching very, very closely.
1: Me too. And and we'll see if that winds up impacting them to the point that they don't get in enough games that it really calls into question the validity of a champion to wind up in that college football playoff. We'll see. Anyway, enjoy it this weekend, Paul. Thank you, as always. I'll see you next week. Can't wait. Thanks, Greeny. It's the great Paul Feinbaum again. You see him on SEC Network. You hear him coast to coast on his radio show. He is as in tune to what is going on in that part of the country, sports wise and maybe even otherwise, as anyone I've ever known. All right, coming up next who is really to blame for the worst performance of the night?
0: Greeny, the podcast.
4: Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E.
1: Jet's Pizza, better because it has to be. All right, Greeny, back with you here. And our reminder that uh, this program every single day is turned into a podcast. It is called Hashtag Greeny, and you can find it anywhere you always get your podcasts. And Bubba does a nice job here. He takes each hour, puts them into its own little podcast. and catch up on anything you may have missed Today, we have a very busy day working. I just got more news here. This is from a tweet from uh, Mike Reese. Oh, no, it's from Field Yates, excuse me. This is from Yates. Oh, no, it is from Reese, reporting with Field Yates. Um, Mike Reese is our Patriots reporter. The Patriots will be canceling their practice today after a positive COVID test. There's also a second test they are awaiting to confirm as a positive. So the Patriots, by now you know. Have had quite a time with this. They had their game last week pushed to this week. This game they're playing against Denver Sunday is one that was supposed to be played last week. First it was going to be last Sunday, then it became last Monday. There was some talk of it being last Tuesday. Now it's this Sunday, and now I suppose that is in at least some level of jeopardy. They've gone through Cam Newton going on the list, and now he's off and eligible. They've gone through Stefan Gilmore, so basically they're two most important players. And now they have another test and they're awaiting a second one. So We'll continue to get word on this, this on the same day where the Indianapolis news is good. All of their positives turned out to be false. So their building is reopened. Their game against Cincinnati is on. Atlanta's game against Minnesota is on. So this is just stuff we follow every single day. It's funny when, it's not funny, but it's interesting. When we were getting set to go on TV this morning, my producer said in my ear, we've got a closing down of the facility in Indianapolis. And my first reaction was, do we need to lead with that? Like, are we even leading with that at this point? This, this, is, this is so commonplace now. And, and of course, the answer was, yes, we do, you idiot. And, 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 and it was right. And of course, we need to lead with it. It's incredibly important information. It's more important than just the football games themselves. And it also has an enormous impact on whether the football games are played or not. Um, but it, is a, it, it just is a, an indication of how commonplace this now is. This is what we're following every single day in sports and will be throughout the remainder of the football season. One day it's Nick Saban, another day it's Cam Newton. And again, the only thing that you hope is that everyone just recovers from this and is fine. As long as everyone recovers from this and is fine and they get the games in, then we don't have a problem here. The recovering from this and is fine is obviously a lot more important than the getting in of the games. So first and foremost, let's just hope that everyone recovers from all of this and is fine. Meanwhile, let me get to what I was planning to get to. It is time for some straight talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. The worst performance of the night once again belonged to Clayton Kershaw, and this is getting to be difficult to watch. I had Hembo put together some numbers for me. Just so you know how great a player Clayton Kershaw has been for so long, and you know that there has been an enormous fall-off in the postseason. But I said to Hembo, give me some numbers. Give me something that for those who don't really know it inside and out, will really illustrate just how stark this is. Clayton Kershaw is the only starting pitcher in the live ball era with a career ERA under two and a half in the regular season. Okay? So he literally has an historically great ERA in the regular season, like as good as anyone in the live ball era, which is basically a hundred years. He has won seventy percent of his decisions in the regular season. Though he's only 32, he has already produced more value in his career than Jim Palmer did, than John Smoltz did, than Juan Marichal did, than Don Drysdale did. It is not hyperbole to say that he's the greatest regular season pitcher ever. And yet, the postseason struggle continues. After last night and another defeat, when the manager left him out there at least one batter too long, Clayton Kershaw now has the highest postseason ERA among all pitchers with at least 100 postseason innings ever. He's the only pitcher to start at least 10 games in the league championship series and world series that has an ERA over five. It was the fifth time last night in his career that he lost a postseason game in which his team had given him a lead. So this just continues to be the story. And these were Mark DeShera's thoughts on it this morning with me on Get Up.
2: He now has the highest career ERA of any pitcher that's thrown 100 innings in the postseason. And for as great as he's been in the regular season, his first ballot Hall of Famer hasn't gotten the job done. Now, a lot of people are going to say this was Dave Roberts' fault. The manager should have taken him out after the fifth inning. I have no problem with Clayton Kershaw coming back out in the sixth. The problem is he didn't look good in the sixth inning. Carl Ravich and Tim Kirch and I are watching this game in Bristol and we're saying, take him out of the game. This is not a good matchup. Dave Roberts leaves Clayton Kershaw in, gives up the big double, and the rest is history. Unfortunately, it seems like Dave Roberts leaves Clayton Kershaw in just long enough to lose the game.
1: Straight talk, wireless, no contract, no compromise. That's it. At some point, you just have to come to the understanding that Kershaw has become in the postseason a guy, he's just a guy. I mean, there's just no way they would look at it. If the Dodgers are going to come back and win this series, they're going to do it without him. And if he gets another start in the World Series, you just can't expect him to be Clayton Kershaw in that spot. As much as the manager wants to give him a chance to do it, I get it. But at some point, the concerns of the team trump that. And so you have that on one side. You have the Braves now up 3-1, one win away from their first World Series in 21 years. And on the other side, the Rays continue to be one win away. They were one win away in game four, and then they were one win away in game five. And after a walk-off by Carlos Correa last night, they're now one win away in game six. Correa, by the way, apparently called his shot, said to Dusty Baker, walk off, then walked up there and walked it off, 416 feet to right center. And, you know, I, I do find myself wondering sometimes, is it good for the sport or bad for the sport if the Astros get there? You know, obviously a lot of people care about them mostly in the negative. Everyone knows the cheating scandal. Everyone knows what they did to win that championship before. But at least people have a very strong opinion on them one way or the other. In the big picture, it probably is good for the sport if they wind up in the World Series. We'll talk more about it as we continue. Back to the NFL we go next. Ryan Clark will join me live in just a moment. Greeny on ESPN Radio. Thanks for listening to Greeny, the podcast. You can get more from Greeny live
0: weekdays at noon Eastern on ESPN Radio and on ESPN News. And don't miss Greeny on Get Up every morning at 8 Eastern on ESPN. Greeny, the
2: podcast.